Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. You know, mostly I like episodes that encourage people to show their breath. Ooh. You know, you're getting I, it done right up top, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Boobies, male, female, I, dog. I really wish more of our material. I'll I'll see a dog's tits. <laughs> I know you will. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I see dog's tits every day of my life. He mm. loves to. And he loves every second of it. Uh-huh. And the, the, the many hey, pictures. Georgie, it's time for your mandatory belly rub. Yeah. I give her belly rubs all the time. She's a little girl, so she has tits. And you are the one who's saying stop sexualizing corgis. Oh. Georgie's tits are for Georgie's babies that she's not having. That's I right. actually have some big news from the Kissel household, but I don't want to hear your humor about it. But we'll start the show first. Welcome well, to the I, last podcast. Of the left. Get, oh, don't do it. Then. What is your what is what do you want to share? Big news in the Kissel household. Jerry now comes when I call him. And no, he doesn't ejaculate. You did that again. No, that was, I went to sleep thinking, oh, Henry's good. If I say Jerry comes when I call him, Henry's going to be like, oh, he ejaculates. Wow. So I nullified that. He has really been taking and, and assuming my reactions recently. I'm chat GPT for you. <laughs> I think the word projection. No, I'm feeling, no. The word projection. I'm feeling be- some projection. Because today's episode's all about how, how breasts need to be covered. <laughs> this is about hiding tits. Protected. Protect Let's say your protected. Tits. All right. Welcome to the last podcast on the left bed. Hanging out with Marcus. Hanging out with Henry. And the newly, uh, just wow, this new philosophy. I'm mature. The breasts need to be covered as opposed to revealed for the world to see. I mean, normally, show them, flop them out. I want to I wanna see them. I want to see other people sucking on your tits. If you want to get rid of yeah. your own breasts, great. You could do whatever you want to them. I, I mean, be- I'm personally in a bit of a breast renaissance right now because I've been watching a lot of 70s movies. I watched this mm. movie, The Vampire Happening, the other night that wow. I absolutely adored. Nice. No less 15 to 20 pairs of breasts in that movie. Yep. I watched this movie with Donald Pleasance called The Mutations. Great. Three pairs of breasts in that movie. It was it's a 1970s update to Freaks, and yet they still managed to put three pairs of breasts in it. You know what bumped to the top of my looking at boobs search list recently? Mm-hmm. Tawny Katane. Interesting. There you go. Well, isn't that exciting? <laughs> what but a this great, episode. This episode. Yeah. How I does it tie it into the episode? I just yeah, got to get, get it out. Yeah. I have to just understand this. A lot of this episode, I'm going to have to be, I'm going to be forced to be silent. 
Okay, yes. good. By Marcus. Wow. Right? Because a lot of this involves really intense breast attacks. Oh. And not in a way I like a breast attack, which no. is six, three angles coming in and go, oh, I wake whoa, up going, whoa, yeah. oh, whoa, whoa. You know, like, that's a fun, a breast attack. Yeah. This is yeah. the opposite the of opposite, that. You yeah. got to pay double for that. All right, today's episode, you want blood? Well, you're going to get it. The Chicago Rippers. Remember, you asked for this. You asked for it. <laughs> The Chicago Rippers, a.k.a. the Ripper Crew, were a gang of four psychopaths who murdered up to 20 women in Chicago over the course of just a year and a half during the early 80s in a criminally underreported and largely forgotten crime spree. I think so it's largely there. underreported because it's extremely unpleasant mm -hmm. and it is mm -hmm. uh, you, most of it can't even be portrayed on television. No. Oh, so you're sitting there, you're alone right now, and you have to remind yourself even these guys had friends. So get oh, yeah. out there and find your own Ripper crew, but make it like about bowling. Yeah, I, <laughs> We're the I'm, Ripper crew. We play pool. When I meet the Chicago Ripper crew, I hope it's a bunch of guys who will like fart songs. Oh, that's a <laughs> poke See, of farts. That would be incredible. But mm. this, again, opposite. Okay. Now, Ripper cases are so named because they share features with the infamous Jack the Ripper case of 1888. That is to say, they usually involve the extreme mutilations of sex workers. Yeah. But while Jack the Ripper is arguably the most famous serial killer to ever exist, and Peter Sutcliffe, the Yorkshire Ripper, he's been burned into the British consciousness since the early 80s, the Chicago Rippers, they hold no such distinction in even local history. Yeah, Chicago doesn't want to claim them. Mm -mm. Weird. See, Jack the Ripper gets his place in the history books because he was the first modern serial killer. And the Yorkshire Ripper case only got serious investigative power after Peter Sutcliffe started murdering members of so-called polite society, mm, non-sex workers. Right. The Chicago Rippers, however, focused mostly, but not exclusively, on sex workers, which makes the lack of press coverage during and after the murders both baffling and predictable. I also want to say this. There's nothing more polite than sucking somebody off when they're stressed. <laughs> Seriously. And so thank you, sex workers. Thank you for Thank polite. you for keeping all of those South Dakota farmers when they go to Vegas for that oh, weekend, yeah. thank you for so stopping them from murdering their family for three years when you stomp on their balls. It's incredible <laughs> the work that you do, and it's unfortunate the way these people come at you. And I think yeah. we, we brought this up recently. Yeah. Don't come at me with that. Don't come at me with Learn that. Learn that sex workers embrace it. Yeah. They know that. Well, out of the 20 some odd killed by the Chicago Rippers, four weren't sex workers. One, however, wasn't a woman and was killed in a random shooting. But three were still the sorts of victims who usually get both press and police attention, secretaries and the like, not to mention the fact that they were white women. And to that point, perhaps the reason why there wasn't such a massive sense of urgency was that the vast majority of the victims in the Chicago Rippers case were black sex workers mm. who historically have the least amount of investigative power placed into their murder investigations. This was about that for years. This, pri this process of looking for the Chicago Ripper crew was decidedly lazy, and they weren't caught if it wasn't for a piece of truly just luck yeah, was how they right. were caught. But thankfully they were, because these are the, 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 part of also why I think after the fact that these were not reported, because we brought up because these crimes are particularly very, very grisly, yeah. but also because the men themselves that committed these crimes, what we most know, mm. most of what we know, we, we've talked about this before, about any serial killer comes from the mouths 
of the serial killer themselves. Can't trying trust to, them. Trying to put together, but mostly it's because they are, what do we know about serial killers? A lot of their narcissistic tendencies means they want to be in charge of their own storyline. They, they want to be on the they want to be on the cover of the Rolling Stone. Yes, and they want the want they want everybody to know their version of the story. These guys have not spoken about these crimes and they've also have not admitted that they even did these crimes ever. They have mm. sort of You'll get to it because it, it, yeah. they all roll back because every they roll after, back. They roll back, but three of them get very extensive with their uh, confessions. Well, that's how we know anything. But yeah. then after the fact, they're all still saying that they're extremely right. innocent. They talk mm-hmm. about extreme. They're like, no, no, triple X innocent. <laughs> triple X innocent. And of yeah. course, when it comes to rolling back, we do have to remember Walmart. Yep. Roll still back rolling back. Yeah. 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 To this day. Yeah. Yep. I mean, destroying yeah. our society. society but. At the very least, the ringleader of the Chicago Rippers never admitted to anything and is still never admitted to doing anything untoward despite mountains. No, and I'm just of, so happy. Uh, eyewitness again. reports. No physical evidence, mind and, you, but eyewitness evidence. And I'm just so happy that Samwise was able there to help the ringleader towards the very end when he was like, I don't think I can kill this woman. <laughs> See, this and, is then, why, and then Sam was like, you can kill this woman, I'll carry you. Oh, we can't have four, yay. <laughs> and this is where you're really important here today, yeah. Levity. Yeah. I'm bringing the levity. You're bringing the levity. And yeah. I are. And also like that your Frodo was Italian. I don't think I can do it. Honestly, Frodo's a very Italian name. It does sound like <laughs> a pasta. Yeah. Uh, but I, I actually, I'm kind of taking it back or even to doing this because I'm having a hard time kind of concentrating on anything since the loss of Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, yeah, I, I know, know you've been quite devastated. If you the could read my mind, would tear, so would tear. He also mentions Wisconsin in the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Yeah. Until this day, I didn't know how many of my friends were Gordon Lightfoot fans. Well, I'm Lightfoot him, yeah, I'm yeah. a Lightfoot head for sure. I, I thought he was dead, <laughs> otherwise I would have seen him. Sundown, was like, that's how Natalie knew to avoid me during quarantine. When you listen to Sundown? She'd hear like, when you heard that coming out of my office, she just didn't. She knew, don't go in there. That's half a bottle of whiskey right there. And then a cigar that he has one puff of, but then he's like, it makes me a little sick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we've said again and again, because it bears repeating, black sex workers, especially in the 80s and 90s, they were the ones most likely to have the letters DNI scrawled on their body bags, meaning do not investigate. And if there's no investigation, there's usually no coverage. And as it was, because the investigation and the media attention was so relatively scant during the Chicago Ripper murders, the team of four psychopaths who perpetrated these crimes operated with near impunity with a horrific glee throughout. All right, so we got to ask Kansas BTK Hot Dog Squad. We're in Chicago here, the Bratwurst Boys. How bad were these cops? Were they as bad as the Hot Dog Squad? No, well, the Hot Dog Squad. They, was, at least there was a squad dedicated to the BTK's crime. They tried. They very much uh, tried. This was like I just guess pure, tried and failed, but but, yeah. but they at least they there was no task force. Okay, no, there was not. Nothing. Yeah, because some of the Hot Dog Squad guys like died with the BTK folder on their nightstand. Okay, like that did never gave. I mean, up. it was covered in it mustard. It was mostly yeah. It was <laughs> keeping the, the the water rings from getting on their nice furniture. You don't want that to happen. Well, the Chicago Rippers would remove breasts with piano wire and oh. have sex with the wounds either before Ooh. or after they tortured the victims with homemade implements. And it was always done in a mobile chamber of horrors that took the form of a customized red Dodge van. Ooh, Man, can you imagine? Toy box killer vibes with that. Just being around Rob and Gecht and even just seeing a grand piano. And it's like, I got a lot of 
got a lot of tits off on that right. thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, well, he can really fit. And then if he saw a harp. Oh, he'd, he'd go crazy. He'd be like, oh, I don't have anything to dissemble. I don't have to dissemble it. Yeah, right that's, there. I can go, oh, you look at that. You just go walk by. Walk by fast. Sounds like our business manager there. Uh, well, that's good. <laughs> I uh, Have you seen Active Killing, that documentary from yeah, back in the day? Yeah, yeah. I learned that you could kill a lot of people with piano wire, and I didn't know that. I mean, I knew it, but I didn't really know it. And yeah. the mob uses it, too. Yeah. Yes. But we know about the victims and what happened to them because three out of the four Chicago Rippers copped to the murders hmm. during the investigation. 75%. Or, 75%, 75% ain't bad. Ain't bad. That ain't bad. The ringleader, however, never confessed, meaning that it is highly likely mm. that his body count is much higher. I utterly, utterly believe that Robert <laughs> Gecht did a lot more yes. than it, what he said. That was his name. His name was Robin Gecht. Sis, very sissy name. It's a straight <laughs> Gecht. Yeah, he's a... Yeah, he's a, he's a it's he's one of those guys where like even as I'm trying to like joke around about him and going in for information about him, this guy is in the le- in the world of the the gal of the villains gallery of serial killers. He is uh in the top echelon when it comes to mean, mean, mean. and stupid. He's an extremely bad guy. Yeah, right. That's funny. That's a funny term because I don't really think of Jeffrey Dahmer as mean. Well, I think well, of him as meek and weak and then scared and then horrible. Well, that's the whole thing is that with serial killers, the cliche is, oh, he was always so quiet. Oh, you would never know. We never knew Dennis Rader was BTK. We never knew that Jeffrey Dahmer was keeping all these people in his apartment uh, right. with Robin Gecht. He was mean and fucked up and cruel 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Constantly to everyone around him. With the name Robin tends to be a little bit more feminine. I wonder if it's a boy named Sue situation. I mean, there is. It is. It's psychologically obvious the way he does his crimes. Yeah. Like, that's the mm. thing is that you're talking about, you know, they always yeah, kind it's of really on the nose. It. Yeah. It's super on the nose. It's hack. <laughs> right. And that, of all the things that make me upset about this story, uh-huh. I know. that's the top. I know. It's been like no creativity. Unbelievable. I mean, it does sound like there was some. Show, not tell. Great call. (laughs) Great call. But before we get into the story of Robin Gecht and his Ripper crew, great band name. Sure, sure. Jesse and the Rippers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Is that from Full House? Full House, yeah. Wow. This is all I thought of. Wow. (laughs) It's like I just see Jesse in his, like, he had to do that weird genie outfit because they turned the song that was like a super sweet song to turn into a dance, like, clip and then he right. had a music video and he's like they're selling me out they're selling us out you know mm-hmm. i don't remember i remember <laughs> i do remember that yeah. robin gecht and the ripper crew sounds like a great like early si- mid-60s liverpool band just seeing yes. robin gecht next to the beach boys <laughs> that's you a know, match made in like, schizophrenic yeah. hell yeah well let's acknowledge our source today before we get into the story for this two-part series we have Deadly Thrills by J. Slade Fletcher. Deadly Thrills! <laughs> very deeply yeah. in the world of traditional 1990s true crime. This is classic old school true crime supermarket paperback. It's written by a cop. It's got everything you want. Great. If I remember correctly, it was actually sent to us many years ago by listener Jessica Shannon. Because this book is actually... Very, very rare. Oh. Jessica, by the way, still runs an awesomely curated morbid subreddit at r slash Jessica M. Shannon. So okay. Check it out if you they, does a great job moderating. Great job. I, you, be, uh, nice. Honest, be nice. Please be people. nice. Please. That, is a, that, I, that job is thankless and almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll just say up top, uh, it's a gold star episode. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've already done a lot of t- tit chopping, like just jokes, and it's going to continue. Yeah. Well, it's going to get detailed at, yeah. at, at multiple points over the next two episodes. So they were mostly just breast related. I don't think they were about the chopping. Point. No, no, no. But it's <laughs> I need to get it out, I know. and I have to figure out a way to get it out mm-hmm. in a way that's constructive, entertaining, creative, yeah. creative. Yes. Well, over to thank you to Jessica. And so, without further ado, <gasps> let's get to the story of Robin Gecht and the Ripper Crew. Robin Gecht, it sounds like a little frog, like a it toad does. man. I, I really hate the, I just hate the way it works. Yeah. Well, it's also sad because I hate the fucking the way the cops put this too, where they're like, it's about little man syndrome. <laughs> oh, Robin you don't Gecht, like that? Little, oh, you don't like Robin Gecht was five foot seven. Well, we'll get into that. Oh, all right. interesting. He was the tall one. We'll get, we'll get into that. He was we, the tall one. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's interesting how much umbrage you take with that. Because really we're, we're going to get into that later Marcus on. Marcus never said anything about, oh, Jack the Ripper is so thin and well, so He was British. the unknown. We didn't know who he was. Yeah. yeah. Well, Marcus hasn't complained I mean, about he was, anything. I mean, Jack the Ripper was certainly a thin, lithe Quick man, I did have some. I did have some I anger towards the towards the uh, Ed Kemper episode. Oh, of course. So, I understand. <laughs> yeah. so Robin Gecht was born in Chicago in 1953 into a classic hard luck serial killer environment that never let up during his entire childhood. The oh, o- boo hoo! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's right. You said I. I'm not woke. I'm not work. <laughs> I'm not work. Woke. The only love Robin ever got was from his grandmother, Sarah, who doted upon her grandchild by saying, quote, You are my first grandchild. That makes you special. Well, that's nice. Yeah. That was the only time anything ever nice was ever said. If you can get the grandmother on your side, though, you have the whole house. Who cares? Your fucking pussy's already done. She already did her shit ass work. That's not about that. If you remember, Ted Bundy had the grandfather. That didn't work out too well. It didn't. No, it's about the grandmother. I see. But unfortunately, Robin was treated as far less than special throughout his formative years. It was kind of more of a joke. I see. (laughs) His brother Everett was born three years after Robin, and his sister Rochelle came two years after that. And since the Gecht home was so small, Robin lost his bed to his two younger siblings and had to sleep on the floor. Soon after, his parents abandoned him to the, oh, he'll figure it out on his own school of parenting that often leads to, let's say, Bad habits. It leads to me. And I think it's fantastic. What are you talking uh, about? Your mother didn't leave you to your... Your mother actively took you out of school and took you to the Piggly Wiggly. Did she pet your hair? No, no. She never pet my hair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, no, also, my family, you were raised for a period of time. Yeah. No, you I know raised. I was raised. I'm just saying, yes, I'm a mama's boy. Yes, me and my mom. I can go to Piggly Wiggly right now. I can get you all the bank cereal you want. <laughs> but what I'm saying is... Um, you're coming. You're coming straight to. You immediately what, want to support Robin Gecht. No, you no, immediately no, are I'm trying not. to. I am just like, saying. Apologize for Robin Gecht. Parents, one of the no. worst serial killers of all no, time. No, no, no. I'm, I'm just right saying. Now, sometimes when parents are a little bit more hands off, their kids become podcasters or ooh, artists or maybe CEOs. And he, it's not his parents' fault that he became a serial killer. I'm starting to notice a bit of a pattern. You really do fall on the side of the serial killers who like to murder in cars. You Isn't, really that know, cars. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? He's a truck guy. He's <laughs> a truck guy. I'm a Chevy guy. Yeah, I was hanging out with my high school buddies. Like, when did you become a Chevy guy? I was like, you don't remember? 
Guy. I don't think so, buddy. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah. All of our cars equally represent us because you drive a car of a, the a House of Representative member from North Dakota. You have a lesbian <laughs> school oh. mother's car, and my car is of a tiny, fat producer. A Subaru yes. Outback is a very versatile vehicle. It's four. Women uh, that look like Elizabeth Warren and yes. their beekeeper wives. A versatile, love- a versatile vehicle for a diverse group of people. Absolutely fantastic. And of course, I do love your new bumper sticker that says, Cross the picket line, WGA. Yeah. <laughs> the hashtag scab artist. <laughs> from your grave. The only acceptable reason to interrupt a podcast? Your dog. <laughs> that was your dog. Saying thank you for BarkBox. You can take a minute now. You pet your dog. You're going to learn about Bark. It's the company dedicated to making dogs happy. Yay. Every month, BarkBox decides and delivers a whole new collection of toys and treats just for your best bud. No, Wendy, I can't get you a whip. You're too cute for weapons. Every treat is made with yummy, healthy, all-natural ingredients like pumpkin and sweet potato. Mmm, tubers. My dogs love their toys selectively, but BarkBox sends good little ones for their little tiny mouths. They have little mouths, but strong, big spirits. So they fight over the little toys. I imagine they think that they are hunting and going after little bugs and rats. And oh, they love their life and they love the they love what BarkBox brings. Because BarkBox brings the bark and puts it in a box. Yep. To get your free upgrade, go to BarkBox.com slash L-E-F-T. Every day, I fight to set my child up for success, which is why, as I sit and read Carmi and Wendy Dune, trying to explain to them the concepts of the savior complex not working, doubling back on itself, the concept of what does it mean to be a living God? What are those limitations? What are those expectations? And honestly, I know they just want chicken. But there are kids out there that need this type of direct help. And IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them understand and master topics in a fun way. Not unlike me, reading children, Dune Messiah getting to about 365, seeing where they're at, see if they understand anything. There's no more grading these worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. You can't even believe it! You don't want to make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And last podcast in the left listeners could get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash left. Visit IXL.com slash left to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Now, it was perhaps Robin's increasing resentment towards his new siblings combined with his own natural sociopathic tendencies that led to his first experience with death, which also said quite a bit about the attentiveness of his parents or lack thereof. Pointed. I'm saying, okay. 
When Robin was six, he, his mother, and his siblings took a trip to the grocery store. And while Robin's mother went inside with Robin's infant sister, she told Robin to stay outside to watch his three-year-old brother, even though Robin was only six. See, white trash is... International. No, but it's that thing is, where if you are, because that is such a thing of taking a six-year-old and be like, hey, watch a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, double I, H. You'll figure it out. Yeah. That's a double up. I think that's okay. What? It was the 60s. He's completely <laughs> well, a different child. He's neglected. Yeah. He's no. searching for his mother still in many different environments. Yeah. He goes to, to the basketball men and he wants them to be his mother. <laughs> he wants the wings to be his mother. I just follow that sweet, sweet sound of giggling. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, I did it. Now, it's unknown whether Robin let events unfold or whether he pushed them along. But pretty soon, his little brother Everett had wandered out into the street and got hit by a car. Uh, what do you think about that now, Not ben? good. Not good. My older brother saved me from getting hit by a car because I was darting into traffic, grabbed me by the shirt, and pulled me back. So he was not a good older brother. He was not. No. Everett survived with permanent brain damage. Yeah, but he was the fine one. <laughs> no, he got sent to an institution oh, because no. the Gecht family was too poor to take care of him at yeah. home, and he never returned. He just got... Popped into the there One of those. probably in the eighties if he survived till then just got thrown out into the street. We used to call it the crisper. The cr- yeah, <laughs> yeah, put him in the crisper. Put him in the crisper. But I, I, technically he's lucky. Everett? I know that he's now he's at least he doesn't have to be known as the brother of right. Robin Gecht, and he just gets to go and kind of rock back and forth in a room someplace <laughs> else. That's. <laughs> Well, perhaps to fill the Everett-sized hole in their lives, or perhaps because the Gex were just too fucking stupid to stop, they gave birth to another child oh. in 1961, Julia, and another it child. Too good to come. It feels too good to come it inside. Feels, it feels too good to come inside, but you got to just, you got to wait. You get to do it a couple times a month, and that needs to be good enough if Ugh. you're not going to be on birth control. I also have no fetish for it. It's not a fetish. It's just pretty. It's just good. I'm just saying, like, having a, <laughs> it's just having the many children. It's very stressful. Yeah, it's just it's stressful. stressful. Well, after Julia in 1961, there was another, Joanne in 1964. And it therefore oh. became Robin's job to take care of all these little girls who seemed to come in an endless stream. Uh-oh. Robin then had to shoulder even more responsibility when his beloved grandmother died of stomach cancer and his father became ill with an unnamed, quote-unquote, Blood ailment. Diseases used to be simpler. Yeah. Yeah. The big problem with the blood. He's got blood. There's something wrong with his blood. (laughs) That's all you know. And this was all before Robin was 10 years old. So there's a lot going on. Now, while I don't want to get too much into armchair psychology here, it seems to me that Robin's early experiences with the female gender was seen mostly by him as a heavy burden. Robin's entire life revolved around the care of girls. And while most men come out of this experience with a deeper appreciation for women. Or as I say, a a very healthy amount of fear, which has really helped me (laughs) be surrounded by women. Yeah, yeah, a feminine touch, you might say. I think Robin's inborn psychopathic tendencies brought about the opposite effect. Instead of love, Robin engendered nothing but hate towards women. I also, just the straight up of kind of the system... Of he's become a little mini parent, but I've seen a lot of people come from this environment. Yeah, and they didn't start the Chicago Ripper. That's no. what I mean. Inborn psychopathic tendency. Sometimes there's they some, start record labels. Sometimes you know what I mean, hey, there's just something about his height. That's <laughs> what it is. But again, it's something about to, his height. It's supposed to fuel your personality. I think also being his height, he's smaller than a lot of women, or eye to eye. You know, uh, so maybe he. Oh, anyway, that's the whole thing. But um, you know what I have become with women? Neutral. 
You know, that's nice. You just, well, you just that's good. Sit, that's you not just happy, away. not angry. <laughs> Neutral. Yeah, you just sit away. You just sit <laughs> at big ways. Jerry comes when I call him. <laughs> Come. Don't do it. This guy comes all over his fucking ass. Yeah, I figured <laughs> he was going to do something like that. Now, Robin was, of course, a problem child at school, always fighting, stealing, and starting fires, all of which would, of course, draw the ire of his father, who always, even though he couldn't work, he always seemed to manage to muster up enough energy to beat his son, despite his blood ailment. I so mean, it's all about, what you, it's yeah. about what you like to do. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But when the school had enough of Robin's antisocial behavior, he was sent first to a day school for troubled juveniles. But when he refused to attend of his own volition, though, Robin was sent to a troubled teen school Uh for eight months. Now, almost certainly, Robin was sent to the Chicago Parental School with the rest of the city's so-called incorrigibles. But as far as troubled teen schools went, this wasn't one of the worst. I looked into the Chicago Parental School, mostly modeled after military school. No corporal punishment was ever allowed. Yeah. The worst punishment also isn't the best punishment. They would give kids 24 hours of solitary confinement in a well-lit, well-ventilated room. It's like more of a cool-off room. Uh, That's not the cool worst off. I've yeah. ever heard. Yeah, 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 the, the crisper. Not, yeah, the crisper. The crisper. Yeah. Was yeah. Chucky there? Chucky? Part two! <laughs> Chucky two! No. Military school. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Not at all. No, I'm so scared. No, sorry. Come. <laughs> you could read my mind. You were saying, Marcus? They did have a school newspaper. It was called The Skipper. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, they had the Gilligan, too, but that was mostly just recipes for onion soup. Oh. <laughs> that's actually great. Yeah. But after eight months at the parental school, Robin was brought home after his grandfather also died. And his aunt quickly followed her father with suicide because she lost both her parents in less than a year. It's again, as I said, it's a hard luck serial killer story. It's just nothing but misery and death and pain. I don't know. It sounds like you should have become a graffiti artist. Very well, fun. Be designer. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely sounds like this isn't child's play. <laughs> oh, see, that's fine. Again, that's sort the of name of the up. fucking that's movie. Fine. Yeah. I was the name of the movie. Chucky. Yeah. Well, looking for some purpose in life, Robin, at the age of 15, began working with his dead grandfather's tools so he could learn enough electrical know-how to repair television sets. That's incredible. That's great. Yeah, this is 1968. Television sets are on the fritz all the time. He has literally 35 years of work ahead of him. Yep. Yeah. By the age of 18, he met a girl whom Deadly Thrills called Judy Carson. Judy Carson. Yeah. Okay. It's the first of many pseudonyms the author used to protect the innocent. Ah, uh, I see. Judy gave birth to the first of Robin Geck's many children. Oh, my but God. Luckily for her, they broke up and she married someone else, leaving Robin far behind. Great. So after an extremely short-lived return home in which Robin was punched in the face by his father hours after his arrival. He didn't want him there. No. Because, he, again, Robin was a problem. Robin was a problem. Robin was violent. Robin was mean. All yeah, the time. Right. He ju- and yeah, you wonder why the first, and definitely the first marriage dissolved because of that. Yeah. He was just not, a, he was not very nice. Sure. Yeah. Robin, after that, drifted from woman to woman for years until he met and married 17-year-old Rosemary McCaffrey in 1975, when Robin was 22. The first child was born a year later, and two more children would be born between then and the year in which Robin was caught for the Ripper murders, 1982. I wonder, so where, the, I wonder where these kids are. Do you know where his kids are? No, I, I, I would. I don't. I, I don't think need they would to know. be like that's not my. Actually, uh, yeah, I do know where one of his one of his kids did get convicted of murder, and I think we're going to be uh, covering that in the next episode. Holy so yeah, these shit. kids did not come out. Uh, it's oh, it they did come out great. Could be genetic. Oh, is it the batter? Yeah. <laughs> 
It might be the bad. Pizza. Something like that's be. what I was like. A bad pizza starts with the dough. It, well, that is true. That I is say true. A, ba- a bad pizza starts with the water. That's what I say. Yeah, it's the cum. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm That's why. That's why. That's why I've accepted that. And the flour is the eggs. That's why pizza, bagels, bread, and coffee in Los Angeles aren't very good because the water here is bad. But you know, you can get a Chicago style from a spot called Gino's, which is close to Chicago. Yeah, honestly, the bread can be good. Yeah, the bread. It can be it if can. they use filtered bread. If they you use just, tap water, you can This tell. is where you're showing some of your bias, but we'll get you around. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> now, one of the most bizarre coincidences in the Robin Geck story came from his choice of profession, electrician. Hmm. And it comes from who he met as a result of that career choice. The cable guy. Yeah, yeah. Jim Carrey. Features heavily in this. Wow. <laughs> yep. Somebody stop me. That's a really <laughs> no one good, would. That's from the mask, though. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they needed. That's all they knew. Yeah. See, Robin had learned the basics of home repair from his uncle Roger, and he therefore opened his own electrical repair business by 1975. He moved on from TVs. He moved up to homes. Wow. Remember, this is Chicago during the late 70s. So if you're doing small time work that involves working with contractors, oh. then there's a chance oh, oh. that you might have worked with PDM and its CEO. Jean Wayne Gacy. Whoa! Now, I first, thought you were going. I thought we were going mob route. No, I didn't dude. know we were going. J, John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne Gacy. This is a. We'll see because we're like, where was there was there involvement? No. Well, let's unpack it a little bit. Yeah. Now, there's no evidence whatsoever that John Wayne Gacy and Robin Gecht ever killed together. Because why would they? John Wayne Gacy killed men in his home, and Robin Gecht killed women in his van. Additionally, Gacy was caught in 1978. Robin's murders didn't begin until 1981, or at least provably didn't we, begin until 1981. But okay. now I believe it is a fact that John Wayne Gacy had accomplices. We don't know who these accomplices are. We don't know whether or not those accomplices also ended up buried in the fucking basement along with the other victims. And we would not know that some of those victims might have been one of his one of his accomplices. But again, tenuous. Tenuous, tenuous. I think if you get murdered, you're no longer an accomplice. You become well, a victim. then, yeah, you have graduated to victim. Yeah, yeah, you have. Well, interestingly, they did know each other. They absolutely yeah. knew each weird. other. This they is, what's, this is so why I'm saying. weird. Uh, well, I mean, we'll get to that in a second. But Gecht was almost called as a witness during John Wayne Gacy's trial. She is there. What? She's on the books having uh-huh. been hired by PDM contractors. Oh. So he was there at some point. But again. In what aspect? In what aspect? Because yeah. John Wayne Gacy, could he see that Robin Gecht had, uh, was he a little bit too fucked up to even be an accomplice? Is it a guy that you look at this guy and like, oh, this guy's kind of fu- fucked up? Too and rogue. We also talk about, too, John Wayne Gacy mostly would f- kind of float. So uh, sometimes guys like to relieve each other of their little stresses. right? Like <laughs> oh, used to sure. do that thing. Yeah. And I don't know whether Robin Gecht was like, ah, I like this. Yeah. I would imagine if I were to speculate as to why Robin Gecht may have been brought in, I I would say it was probably because John Wayne Gacy killed a lot of his own employees. And since Robin Gecht worked with John Wayne Gacy. He just went through the Rolodex. Since Robin Gecht worked with John Wayne Gacy, yeah, he might have been called. Maybe this guy knows something about an employee that disappeared at a certain point in time. I think it's just a fucking incredible coincidence. Maybe something to do with the Polish Day Parade. You know, you I mean, it always comes Gek back. was organizing all the marching for the yeah, Polish Yeah, yeah, but then parade. it turns out he did it on Italian's Day. Weird. <laughs> now, Henry, I know you're a staunch believer in the theory that John Wayne Gacy had accomplices to the point where you just said it is now proved that proven he had accomplices. Fact. Proven Although fact. Although it 
It's not approved. Uh, in, in the court of Zabrowski. <laughs> That's, that's, all the that's the court of Z. That's the court of Z. I'm not so. I still believe it's speculation. Okay. Yeah, sure. I I do believe that it's just more likely than not that serial killers with extremely high body counts have some form of accomplices, as we've seen with Dean Coral. As we, I, I think that John Wayne is very similar. As we know for a fact that Henry Lee Lucas was trained by the CIA in order to destabilize the American <laughs> right. system. The hand of death is completely yeah. real. That's real. It sounds That's to me. Real. Like you have your jump to conclusions, Matt out. <laughs> and you to conclusions are yeah. jumping to conclusions. But what's surprising to me when people talk about the Gacy accomplice theory is that no one ever brings up the fact that Robin Gecht did exactly what Gacy was supposed to have done. And he did it in the exact same city at nearly the exact same time. I mean, it's Jeez. a great environment for self-starters. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The Ripper crew was made up of Robin Gecht and the younger employees at his construction business, Eddie Spetzer and the Cocorellis brothers, Andy and Tommy. And if there wasn't a bigger bunch of winners you've ever <laughs> met in your life, it's these incredible young men. Wow. Because Andy and Tommy could both together tie one pair of shoes. <laughs> well, that's not bad. But this thing, if you're looking for accomplices, maybe this is John Wayne Gacy now. Mm -hmm. You got to go for real stupid. You got to go for stupid, but capable. Stupid, well, ca capable in a way that they're really good at... at, at at murdering women and helping you murder women. Well, that would be what the uh, job calls for in these cases, wouldn't it? Well, this is how all these guys met. Robin and his wife, Rosemary, were neighbors with the Cocorellis brothers, who came from a Greek Orthodox family ruled by a violent tyrant who would lash his children after he tied them shirtless to a table. Usually he did this for such paltry transgressions as smoking a little weed. You get 15 oh. lashes for smoking weed. Whoa, I better smoke some weed to make that not hurt so much. <laughs> <laughs> now, we don't know exactly how Andy and Tommy were roped into Robin Geck's life, but it's likely that Robin simply offered them jobs working as handymen at Robin's company. They were neighbors. Yeah, they were neighbors. Yeah, sure. you need some work. Come work. And they I also need to... You got it, Robin. I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, that's 90% of it, just being in the right spot. That's right. Yeah. And you, you saw them outside chopping up a couple of melons uh -huh. yeah. and he's like you're perfect for what i need you yeah. for yeah and he also babysat uh they also babysat his kids oh yeah that's good it's good a, there's the kids. a it's a really large number of serial killers who were also babysitters <laughs> uh, <laughs> again it's really uh you don't need a lot of references yeah nope. the adventures of babysitting triple x <laughs> <laughs> what? So Jeff Epps, Jeffrey Epstein was yeah. making on the island. Oh no, no, you know we're so we're close with him. It's Jeff. God, yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't Noam Chomsky write that? <laughs> got him. Oh. Got him. You got him. Well, around 1978 or 1979, the timeline is uh, pretty uh, vague on this one. Okay. The fourth member of the Ripper crew arrived. See, Tommy and Andy Cocorellis had a sister, and she had a boyfriend named Eddie Spetzer. After 15 months of dating, though, the Cocorellis sister moved away and broke up with Eddie. Mm. And Eddie, soon after, also lost his job at an auto parts store. But the best part thing is, yeah, 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 we are relationship. When people break up, you sometimes, you get the other guy, right? Yeah. So it's nice because in the divorce, 
We got Eddie. <laughs> Isn't that nice? They got Eddie. Does, does he look like Eddie from uh, from? Uh, oh my God! Everyone likes to dance. They like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. No, no. <laughs> Everybody likes <laughs> to dance. That's what. That's what they do. Yeah. Well, desperate Eddie asks his ex girlfriend's brother Andy if he knew of any work. Andy fatefully introduced Eddie to Robin Gecht, and that solidified the Ripper Crew lineup. Yeah, because now you got you got two lumpy goons. Right. You got a skinny goon, and then you got yourself because he viewed himself as the sex symbol. Yes. <laughs> now at this point, Robin Gecht was 30 years old wow. in the boss. He was the older authority figure. He was a lo- little older than I expected him to be. Yeah. Eddie was 21 and highly vulnerable. While Tommy and Andy were just teenagers when they came under the sway of this surprisingly charismatic Svengali. See, oh, this, this is thing. this is gross, though. Just 30 years old, just hanging out with a goon teenager. This, and just... I, honestly, they all say the same thing. They call him a Svengali. <laughs> oh, like, what please. was his charisma that brought him in? It's like, no, they were all just dumber yeah. and shittier <laughs> than him. And but... he looked impressive. To them, of but course. even then, he's Terry the Gnome if he was a human being. <laughs> <laughs> you still got to have a little bit of charisma to sway the dullards. I think you just uh, need to be paying them money to yeah. be hanging out with you. You're their boss. Right. So they're like, yo, whatever Robin says, that's what we're going to do. Because yeah. they're fucking morons. Right. And then and mean, obviously, and truly just brutal assholes. And then Robin Robin Geck knew that. And he's just been like, right. I'm going to teach these kids a thing or two about a thing or two. And then it just becomes, it's all about the touch and Breast with knives. And one person's charm is just another person's turn off. So I don't think that this guy was charming. You know how many people truly consider me extremely charming? Charming? <laughs> yeah. No, he can. He can <laughs> sing and dance. I've seen him put on shows. Yeah, yeah, you know. He I can transform. sing. I've yeah. seen him do it. He's yeah. pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm a winner. Always a, a winner. We sucked him right up, though, and we put him right in that chair, and all you can do is talk now. Hey. Well, I would actually oh, also, argue. you could break the picket line. No, I'm Don't not going to be a scam. You could. But I would argue, though, that, Henry, you're more charismatic than charming. And yeah, I, would say I am the, a Svengali. And I would say the same thing about Robin Gecht. He wasn't charming at all. So you're going to say, oh, that's me and him. That's how we're alike. Yeah. I yeah. am charismatic, able, strong, always hard. Yep. I am I know that. farsighted. Five foot seven. Blood pressure lowered. Can sing, dance, yeah. triple threat, right? Been around. Farsighted means you can't see close to you. Mm, Fartsighted right. means I can actually see farts in the air. Dude, I would love to see when someone farted and be like, know what you did. <laughs> then you have leverage. It's all about leverage. Leverage. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's all about leverage. Every time I love it. Well, most people compare Robin Gecht to Charles Manson mm. because both allegedly use their influence to inspire brutal murders. Allegedly. That, however, is not a correct reading. Charles Manson was a bait and switch cult leader. He was charming. Yeah, he was charming, and he was a he was a bait and switcher. He ultimately just wanted to convince a bunch of eighteen year old girls to leave behind the groovy Los Angeles hippie lifestyle of nineteen sixty eight mm. to go live in Death Valley, where they could ride dune buggies all day. Do you remember we had that? Well, it's top secret where we got this information from, but we had an inside line who was a very close quote-unquote vague a friend pen pal of charles manson and talked about that about the cart of charles manson was very much just into as much pussy as he could consume yeah and they then they do say the tex watson i don't think there's a text in this story was truly a great manipulator and has his own cult in prison yes robin gecht is the two to come on he's combo mm-hmm. okay 
But Robin Gecht, he's more of a bullying manipulator. Yeah. He found three young men who were highly suggestible, and if we're being honest, they were not in any way what you'd call bright. They no, were, I think we've established uh, they're really stupid. Yeah. They were medically dumb. Yeah, Tommy uh, Cocorelis had an IQ of 77. Yeah, yeah, and if yeah. you listen to him talk, he is definitely spinning. Yeah. You know what I mean? He yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. And But, again, there's something about somebody of that mind where he's also like, I got nothing to do with this. I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I wasn't involved in anything. And he's watching. He's like, he's forzing out of his mind. And he's just trying to not. Meanwhile, you're like, no, you you did, though. You you, you certainly did. Yeah, you definitely did. Well, additionally, besides being a group of dullards. Oh, yeah, I like how you put this here, though. That it's low. His IQ is low. Yeah, he's like, well, (laughs) well, the thing is... well, the thing is about Tommy is that his IQ is low enough to put him in like the mildly mentally challenged category, but it's still high enough where he could get a driver's license. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I'm happy to know that. Yeah. I wish. That that explains a, a lot, actually. Yeah. Yes, it does. A lot of those on the road. There are. But besides being a group of dullards, Robin and his crew were all relatively short, scrawny guys. Scrawny. Although not terribly short. We're not talking David Miscavige short here. Well, okay. David Miscavige is tiny. Yeah, he's tiny. Yeah, yeah he's they're petite. just short. I mean, Robin was, as Henry said, he was the big man of the group. He was five foot seven, went 125 pounds. I got fucking wow. 50 pounds on Robin Gecht. You that do? Is, I'm a fucking bruiser compared to Robin Gecht. That is extremely small. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. slight. Yeah, it's almost the reason why you'd he took uh, four men for them to attack one woman at a time. No. Yeah. I wonder if that's also part of the psyche where he's like, I'm a man. No, I'm he's a little a bitch. Yeah. I'm not a oh, woman. Exactly. I'm a man. And he's still in oh, jail yeah. and he acts like he hasn't done anything. Yeah. And yeah, no, it, it definitely was like a small group of pixies or gnomes or neckers. It's just Terry the gnome. Yeah. They're all attacking all at the same time. Jeez. They're all these tiny, weird little guys. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. yeah. Normally you just see those guys in a band, like in a cover band. Yeah. Usually oh, yeah. that's a great way to bet. That's where you should be. Yeah, Chicago Rippers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, as far as the right-hand man and the Ripper crew went, Eddie Spretzer said that he hated who he became when he was around Rob. This isn't me. This is nothing mm. like me. Uh-huh. But even before Robin and Eddie hooked up, Eddie was known to be a disturbing individual. I just was different. I was different to a lot of different people. Sounds like but it. But a lot mm-hmm. of other people would say that's unique. Mm-hmm. When Robin, mm, bad stuff. Bad mm. guy. Well, for example, a guy who knew Eddie from high school said that... Ooh, yeah, I smell the smoked turkey from here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry, I just had a lot of turkey. Well, for example, a guy who knew Eddie from high school said that Spretzer showed up to prom with his mouth covered in blood, but instead of wiping it off, he enjoyed how much it shocked everyone. And he well, spent all night bragging that he'd just come to prom after slaughtering animals in the woods for, quote-unquote, rituals. Kind of cool. I, you know? I mean, that's kind of fun. That but that's a- where he did the thing. He's like, again, that time, different me. Different Prom me. brought horrible things Prom out of me. Prom is stressful. And there are many things that I can't even be associated with more just because of what they bring out of me. Malt chops can't go <laughs> because I hate to share. I get enraged. I start, Absol- start chopping breasts. Oh, I can't, well, I can't do even put me near a Monopoly game. No. Because next thing I know, oh, you got you got all the railroads. Guess what? I I'm tying you up in a van. <laughs> I hate myself when I'm Shopping playing Monopoly. Breasts, yeah. <laughs> now, who knows if the prom story is true or not? Because the true crime paperbacks of the '80s and '90s—they're filled with stories from high school classmates who always have a fucked up story to tell about the killers. Mm-hmm. Or then the thing you thought was super funny back in the day, and yeah. now that he's one of the Chicago Ripper crew, right. you're like, oh, well, actually, now it's kind of gross. Yeah. Revisionist history. 
But either way, the fact that it sounds like it could be true certainly tells you that Eddie was at the very least disturbed when he met Robin Gecht during a vulnerable and directionless period in his life. Mm -hmm. Additionally, if Eddie hated it so fucking much, keep in mind that he could have stopped Robin at any point once the killing began, either by going to the cops or even if he wanted to avoid jail, just kill Robin yourself. If you're going to kill women, why not kill the guy who kills the women and then you won't have to kill the women anymore? Well, it, just go to the police. Yeah, I it's it's interesting because you we talk about, you know, we did you know Paul Bernardo and we talked about Carla Homolka and how she in a way I we now know that we we believe that Carla Homolka was way more involved than she kind of like she protested doth protested too much mm. about how she was so afraid of Paul. I do believe that she did think she was next and part of why she ended up flipping on him in the very end. But when it comes to victims being with somebody for a long time, we you could see why. Like if you're trapped in a truly abusive scenario, it can it really can truly feel impossible to get out. And also sure. the statistics, we know that the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when someone tries to exit. That's normally when things really flare up and things go bad. But when you are one of the other murderers, yeah, you kind of for me. You lose a lot of the argument that, well, like, I yeah, just I was, I was a different person than he wasn't. His, he wasn't his fucking boyfriend. Yeah, like he was his boss at a part time job. Yeah, yeah you like, just quit. Yeah, yeah, you just leave. Yeah, you just walk. yeah, that's not that difficult. I'll, I'll quit right now. I fucking quit. Cool. I'm back. Whoa, incredible. <laughs> yep. but, Whoa, and this is their new like reunion episode. Wow, oh, awesome. <laughs> I've also changed a lot, guys. Yeah. yeah? Yeah, I have. Yeah, so what the how? In what in what way? In what way? Uh, improv then. Jerry doesn't come when I call him anymore. <laughs> That's actually really sad. Yeah, That's that would be sad. He just started a week ago. That's nice. It's Jerry. He came. Did oh, it happen? Don't do it. In your fucking face. Can I ask you, has it happened more than once? Yes, multiple times. Oh, okay. okay, well, he's, <laughs> he's doing it. And I do a little thing oh, with my fingers. I go, whoop, come on in. That's incredible. Yeah. That's great. That's great. His brain is now the size of a small peanut. Or no, probably a, oh, probably a little bit of a, ooh, with a little, little tennis table. T- uh, oh, what? Oh, ping pong, oh, ping, ping pong, pong ball. Jesus <laughs> It's funny Christ. that you came up with the words table tennis before you came up with ping pong. That's the name of the game. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. All, I don't want to know the switchbacks of his thought process. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, You can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with Horse picks. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders... I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. 
Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hi, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I didn't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Well, when Eddie Spretzer was asked about this period of vulnerability when he met Robin, Eddie, of course, didn't take responsibility. Hmm. He said, quote, If someone had asked me at the time to be in porno movies or rob a bank or anything, I sure would have done it. Yeah, that's like totally different. I mean, but again, I was a different the, guy. Was like, a different so the guy. guy said, hey, do you want to play for the New York Mets? I'm like, yeah. 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 The sure. guy said, hey, show, hey, man, do you want to be on television? Do you want to be this new? It's, it's called MacGyver. Do you want to be MacGyver on this television show? Absolutely. I'll take time away from what I'm doing here at the electronics business. And okay. I will go and do that. Yes. Cut off a pair of tits? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that would go. be, a, that's where you really want to say no. Now, as opposed to the vast majority of serial killers who begin their experimentation phases outside of the home, doing it to strangers, Robin Gecht went against type and first tortured his wife, which is doubly strange. Contrary to what you might assume, most married serial killers aren't physically abusive towards their wives. Yeah, it's part of their cover story a lot of right. times. It's some other weird game of like they get to live a normal life and then have their secret ex-life. Yeah. Right. Robin, however, did not follow that pattern. And I'm going to state that from this moment forward, this series is going to be heavy, possibly even laser focused on the act of breast mutilation. I, just, I don't like it. Uh, but no, I, will I don't say like it either. To, it's for you guys, you know, because we get a lot of letters, especially when it comes to animal violence. Right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people are really oh. upset they don't like don't animal worry, violence. There's going to be some of that in this episode. People get oh. really mad. Great. And there's also some people get really upset about like baby violence. Right? Like people saying bad things if you throw a baby out of a car they get mad Rightfully if you, if you so, yeah. choke That's a baby great. with a bunch of rags they get really that mad would be very sad to do when stick that... a head of a baby in a paper there's a shredder. series of things you could do everybody yes. gets Don't upset like it. I'm like really I'm upset about the breast violence yeah so this is your gold star episode I'm offended okay. <laughs> well, at your content because again I think breasts are the most pure wonderful thing that uh, that bring us all together as a, as a, a, a human family they do Absolutely. They really are. It's universal. Fantastic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Going through a bit of a breast dissonance. 
Are you? Oh, yeah, we've been talking about this. Yeah, we've been talking about it. Yeah, it's nice. I never left. (laughs) Okay, there you go. But I'm adding butts because I'm growing older. (laughs) Nice. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes I'll just look at a picture of a butt. Two. Congratulations oh, of course. on growth. I mean, it's maturity. Absolutely. <laughs> Everything's a pillow if you look at it like you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like if, you, if everything looks like a hammer. If you're, uh, Everything's a nail if you're a hammer. That's nice. Now, it's interesting that the moment in which Robin began exuberantly marching towards serial killer behavior is also the exact moment that he began bringing Eddie Spetzer into the fold. Hmm. See, after Eddie worked for Robin for only five months, Eddie went to Robin's house to find that Robin had cut off his wife's nipples what? and had simply left her there to bleed. It's really, oh f- this is God. very fucked up. Yeah. No, the, the domestic violence against uh, Rosemary is is the worst I've ever heard of. And he slowly built up. I feel like, you know, we see people ramp up, we see serial killers ramp up their violence as they go, but normally it's outside. Yeah. We talked talk about this, but that's outside of the home. It's weird because it felt like he was getting truly comfortable with the violence with his family first. Yeah. Mm. Eddie took her to the hospital, but before he could talk to the cops, Robin intercepted and told him that the crime could just as easily be pinned on Eddie. That does not even make sense. That's what you say to a moron. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, I mean, if there's one thing Robin Gecht was good at, it was stone-faced lying. Robin also told Eddie that if he went to the cops, he'd show them pictures of Eddie and Rosemary having sex. Although I'm not sure if Eddie ever actually had sex with Rosemary. I don't know. This is like my mom got a spam email. Uh, that was just like, we've hacked into your accounts and we have nude pictures of you in the bathroom. My mom called me fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. Be like, how did they get nude <laughs> pictures of me? Well, how did they How did they see me nude? Henry Thomas. This is like, you know, 11 a.m. And I was like, I don't know. what are you talking about? She's like, they sent an email and they had pictures of my oh, breasts. And I was like, that's not possible. So again, this is how you... You lie to someone who doesn't know. It yes. is interesting how you shoehorn that story in. Um, Fernando brought up on top hat, a Roomba did take a picture of a chick taking a dump and put it online. <laughs> <laughs> so your mom, if your mom has a Roomba, your mom might be, honestly, if that does happen. I don't know. I, we, I, let, it do, I let it see. I <laughs> might have to pull a Tom Green and just paint your side of your house. If there is a picture of your mom naked, <laughs> yeah, 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 paint of it of your mother naked. <laughs> no, uh, we can't have a Roomba because it scares Wendy. Yeah, I, I, it's weird. Uh, I don't enjoy them. No. I like right. it. I wish I had a little robot pet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is that Eddie maintained that the only sexual contact he had with Rosemary was the one time he applied lotion to her breasts. While she was sunbathing topless. What is it? Summer rental with I, John Candy? I, I yeah, like that it, would yeah. be. Yeah. It's, 19, kinda, it's, it's 1979, man. Like, shit's different. It's so interesting for Robin to do this crime. And then he's just like, you know, I have pictures of her, you know, having you having sex together. And we're going to fucking, I'm going to do something. I'm going to show the world about this. And then Eddie's just like, you know, the only time was the one time I just massaged your wife's breasts before she was <laughs> sunbathing topless. And you could just see Robin going, you did what? <laughs> I what? mean, I was lying. I cut, the, I cut those nipples off. I did that. We know that. Yeah. I was lying. Right. And so faced with all the trouble Robin promised, Eddie not only agreed to keep the secret, but he also continued to work with Robin professionally. He'd only been there for five months. Jesus. What did the doctors say? Where'd your nipples go? Did you fall down? What? I mean, don't the doctors be like, not, they don't usually fall off. They just did that. Yeah. <laughs> well, <sighs> most likely, even with the blackmail, I think Eddie stuck around hoping that he might be included in a little of the old ultraviolence later on. He liked it. He loved I think it. he liked it immediately. 
Now, we're going to have a couple of big jumps in this story. Ben, you're already asking questions. And I'm not necessarily... Because you're saying, like, what did the cops do when the woman showed up with no nipples? What did the cops do when the woman showed up with no nipples? I don't fucking know. The oh, book's not that well written. Oh. No. And like, it's not, does, it come we, with, does it come with two plastic nipples? We did a lot of... <laughs> yeah, honestly, those were incredible. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just nice to see what other kinds would look like on Isn't them. that yeah. fun? <laughs> and Robin himself never confessed to any of his crimes. And, and the people who did confess to the crimes are fucking morons. Right. And then half lying and then and don't know we don't know what's up or what's down. But I also wonder if it comes down to just straight up domestic violence at the time. Oof. If yeah. she did not Worst. want to press charges, if she didn't want to, yeah. they might not have even just showed up. You might have just been like, because even she talks about how his obsession with her breasts got and, and hurting her breasts kept rising and getting bigger and bigger and yep. bigger. And he was like, I want to see how they work. I want to, I want to see the inside of them and stuff. And Nothing yeah. tough, masculine, cool, whatever about domestic violence. You're a pussy and a bitch. Yeah. And if you are in there, it's very tough. Yes. And hopefully there's some resources out there to get you out. Let's hope so. But what we do know is that after Robin cut off his wife's nipples, Ugh. a steady stream of teenage girls began flowing through his house. These girls would party all night. Sometimes they'd refuse to leave. But Rosemary was, of course, too terrified to protest. Right. So this is real. your Dean Coral uh, kind of crossover. It's really weird because no one wanted to see. He's just inviting like children over to hang out in the house and fuck and party and do all this kind of stuff. Right. And no one's like saying anything. They're just kind of letting it rock. I think because they're, they're already... Very scared of him. Weird. Yeah. But perhaps seeking to take this decadent lifestyle even further into the realm of the sadistic, Robin began customizing his roomy red Dodge work van to turn it into a mobile chamber of horrors designed specifically to commit torture murders. Well, the problem here is exhibit with the pimp your ride. We have an application. This guy says that he's going to want to make it a torture bus. Yeah, we put a uh, torture bus in your torture, torture bus, bus so you, you can, can torture, torture bus, bus while, while you torture, torture bus. bus. There you go. In addition, I had to. I had to complete the exhibit. He did this to me. I had to complete the exhibit. In addition, his behavior in his personal life was also descending into the depths of decadence. Mm. Cutting the nipples off was only the beginning. See, while Robin was married to Rosemary, he also had a girlfriend named Tina, who had quite a bit to say about Robin's lifestyle leading up to the murders. While they were together, for example, Robin was accused of raping a 15-year-old girl at gunpoint. Jesus. And Tina said he always had a wide variety of pills at his disposal that he would freely hand out, if not force on others. And that would become his M.O. Yeah. Tina also said that Robin was obsessed with Elvis and had amassed a huge collection of records, coffee cups, pictures, and other memorabilia that no one was allowed to touch but him. That's a true crossover star. Do not bring Elvis into this. I My mean, God, yeah, the Elvis, King of Graceland. Again, that's how big he was. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. When Tina asked Robin if he believed in God, he allegedly said, quote, I only believe in two things, myself and Elvis Presley. What the fuck is that? But while Robin's obsession with Elvis was indeed strong, it paled in comparison to how much Robin was obsessed with large breasts to the point where I would say that Robin, he was haunted by his obsession with um, large buddy, breasts. You, you live in the Midwest. You can find them. I don't under, like that <laughs> is, is what the Midwest is. But yeah. it's craven, weird, childish in its obsession. And then what we talk about a lot in this where there's something about the People that do these extreme crimes have this sort of a, a, a childlike, it's it's an immaturity yeah. that is diabolical. Right. You mm -hmm. know, like because scary. it becomes, it's scary because it really is surface level, obsessed, 
wanting, like, because one thing, apparently one thing Keaton was mine was that he had read stories about, quote unquote, like uncultured civilizations using breasts as like bags, like using <laughs> literally like using them as like fucking they would tan them and use them as as like holding bag as, and he totes. Was, like, as totes. And he was like obsessed with shit like that. It's like, I don't because I like boobies, but I like them on a woman. Yeah. No blood mm. on the inside. Blood can be on the inside. And then I like it nice. I like mm. it to be friendly. I, I like everyone to be happy with uh, yeah. showing the boobs. I like happy boobies. I like happy I like boobies. Happy. Where everyone's happy. Mm. It's all happy. We're all they smiling, look happy. You know, like I have huge tits. Yeah. Real nice melons on you there. And of course, the booby purse is brought to you by Boobalingsia. 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 Is that a new, I'm, Fernando, I'm, is that one of the new ads? Do we have Boobalingsia. Is that the new, like, Booba. Oh, Balenciaga. Balenciaga. We are not advertised by Balenciaga. <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> well, this infatuation with large breasts, Robin said he he explained it away by saying that it was genetic. Sure. He said, quote, It's a thing with my entire family going back as I'm told to my great-grandfather. Each of us men have married large-breasted women. My ex-wife is a 39D, and yes, she was very satisfying to me. Well, okay. Why? Well, then, okay, go on. He was just saying, it is weird. I know. <laughs> but no. then why does he hurt them? Because the he's fucked up. Yeah. Right. And what was more, Robin was also obsessed with how breasts worked. When his girlfriend, Tina, became pregnant with Robin's third, fourth, maybe fifth child, Ugh. Robin insisted that she let him watch her breastfeed after the baby was born so he could, quote, see how the milk flowed into the breast. See, I don't know how that works. I don't know how it works from the back, but like we kind of talked about it, but like it is, you know, when you go out to dinner, when someone's got a baby and it's nice. You've talked you know about it. Mean? We haven't talked about, you know, it. They, talked about they, it. You know, if they just it's, snap out the boobies mm -hmm. and they snap them out like, and they, they feed the baby. I know that that's societally correct and fine. That's normal, totally. healthy, yeah. natural. Absolutely. But you I'm do not allowed to look. Yeah, no, you're not supposed to <laughs> stare. No, no you do you're not supposed to stare. You're supposed no, to be. No, I'm not staring, but I, I, I look up. I, I wear sunglasses. I wear sunglasses. You know That's you treat, treat it. You know you do creepy? it. You treat it like a salt shaker. Do you, when you see it when you're at dinner, do you stop and stare at the salt shaker? Do you notice the salt shaker? Yeah, the salt shaker's not open female breast. <laughs> no, no it, it is different. It is different indeed, Henry. Yes, it is different. And then Henry does a uh, mental face swap between he and the baby, <laughs> and it's just Henry's face on the baby. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Tina said that for the longest time. All <laughs> that Robin would talk about was breasts. I, I don't breast always look. Henry. I know. We know. You don't always look. I don't. You wow. don't always look. You don't make anyone uncomfortable. I never you're just, do. You're just saying that it's hard to ignore. I just protest too much, indeed. I, I think so. I tried fun. moving on, and we yet did. you I are just, not. You're it's not a whole me. troubling episode, and, <laughs> yeah. and we're already making jokes. Sure. <laughs> well, Tina said that for the longest time, all he would talk about was breast this and breast that. But of course, these conversations would take dark turns. <laughs> yes. Yeah, to guess. that point, Robin was always after Tina to cut off her own nipples so he could see what was inside. He told her that sex workers did it for him all the time. What's a big deal? They cut off their nipples. They cut for off him? their nipples. No, all the they time. didn't. They I mean, did they it all just the time. Don't. He no, said they, they did it all the time. And no, they don't fucking grow back. And he said if Tina wouldn't do it for him, he'd find someone who would, which is a contradiction because he just said that these sex workers cut off their nipples all the time for him. Okay. He, it's a, he, I, don't, I don't think he's arguing in good faith. I don't think so either. Well, as far as where Robin wanted to have sex, it seems like he was taking his customized torture van for test drives of a sort with Tina, both in the coital 
fashion and in the torture fashion. When they'd have sex in the van, as was Robin's preference, he'd chase her around and stick pins in her breasts because inflicting pain was the only way Robin could become turgid. It became, this. it really did. It became, he had to inflict pain to feel sexual involvement on, on other people uh, i'm like if he wants to stick himself you whatever, do whatever but... you want and again if someone likes it yeah then you do it yeah. but not if they don't like it yeah. yeah the old pin cushion there that is not good no. well his wife got it the worst oh. tina said that one time she went over to robin rosemary's house and noticed that rosemary was pale and sweaty when tina asked her what was wrong rosemary lifted her blouse to show that robin had stuck six hat pins into her breasts. Rosemary said that Robin refused to let her remove them until he said so. He'd injected Novocaine into her breasts so the pain would be bearable enough for her to go about her day. But nevertheless, the wounds still bled constantly. Horrible. Now, naturally, Rosemary was terrified of Robin to the point where she would actually confide. She was confiding in her husband's girlfriend. Yeah. Because she had no one else to talk to. He cut them off entirely. He cut the whole world off inside of this house. It really was. This is a world of nightmares. Yeah. Yeah. Besides the further breast mutilation, like lighting her breasts on fire after dousing them with lighter fluid, he would do extreme breast bondage. Robin also involved her in humiliating bestiality and animal cruelty. Dude, yeah, this, this is, is toy box killer shit. Oh, dude, well, this, this is it's one a of different, the, It's a different kind of bestiality. This is one of the. Ugh. I want to say this little section is one of the worst stories I've heard almost in our entire show. Yeah. Also, why did you pitch that like a cult leader? It's a different kind of bestiality. <laughs> you know, we're not like that anymore. It's a different kind of bestiality. Yeah, it's just like crypto. Mm, curious. <laughs> I am not curious. Mm. Well, on one occasion. Robin forced Rosemary to bring her parents' big dog over to their house. And this is what's so strange about it. This is so weird. He made Rosemary bring the dog over so he could have sex with it. And so, he, and so he would make, because he wanted to make her watch him have sex with the dog. And to prove that Robin did it, when Rosemary told Tina about it, he had a, she had a pair of Robin's underwear that was like covered in dog hair. Oh my God. And I just feel that, I, I see Fernando frowning. Fucking I, I Christ. I it, it really is. It's I really so hope bad. he's getting beat up right now. He is. I, they are in, they are in solitary. Yeah. They can't go anywhere. Oh. And later, when that dog was about to have puppies, Robin dragged it to the basement, beat it to death with a baseball bat, and cut out the puppies so he could store them in jars of alcohol as a macabre decoration. And I do want to point out, they were not his. <laughs> they you were not tell. his. It's the hair color. I do you think he yeah. just went right from like, he fucked it, and then when it was ready to have puppies, yeah. there must have been something I else. I never that. thought I could act this way when I'm got to say I just don't get it. R.I.P. What a tribute episode to Gordon Lightfoot. It really is. This is about the the Gordon Lightfoot family. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking of dead bodies, Robin would brag to Tina that he'd figured out a foolproof way to dispose of a body. He said that all you had to do was take the body to a cemetery where they'd already dug a grave. You go the night before a funeral. Then you throw the body into the hole and cover the corpse with dirt. Then the next day, yeah. the casket would be lowered on yeah. top of the victim. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then the body would disappear forever. And that right goal right there, that's to burial someone. has called a sale. Come on. <laughs> it's the single stupidest yeah, it's idea. The dumbest thing. And he's like, that's smart. He, that, wow. That it's, right there, that's why I'm the leader. 
This is what is so scary about all of it. All the work, all the self-improvement, everything we try to do as a people. And then it's just morons. Yes, yeah. truly. Well, it's all again, fucking Stephen Paddock's out there. Dumb and mean are, is one. It's a truly powerful combination. That because is Because you don't care. Because if you are truly a fucking moron, you do not have very good impulse control. You also mm -mm. do not understand. It's, empathy's yep. a learned empathy. skill. Empathy's like a thing you really have to sit and think about. You have to understand other people have perspectives. It makes your life super complicated. Like it's not It's not as simple as just everybody's meat walking around if you could do everything you want to them. Because again, you can make moves on somebody really hard because most people trust other human beings. So the mean quality then also mm. makes you like a, a truly dangerous because we want to trust other people. Yeah. But you know what? It is funny. Sometimes you're mean, but you serve soup all saucy. And then and you're then soup the soup Nazi. Yeah, it's soup Nazi again. Yeah. Yeah. Who we took a picture with? Yeah, the actor did. that yeah. plays him. He was very intoxicated. So were we. <laughs> But the fact remains that Robin was quite giddy talking about the prospect of getting rid of a body. And he would indeed do something similar with one of the Ripper crew's early victims. And it actually worked. Now, before long, Robin's fantasies of actually killing someone began to inch their way into reality. And he wasn't at all concerned with who saw him doing it, nor was he concerned that anyone was going to turn him into the police. For example, he started building his own primitive torture tools. He built a poker that he constructed by affixing a hat pin to the end of a long broomstick. And he'd use that to chase around Tina, stabbing her, poking her. Jesus. And she'd try to throw it away, but every time she threw one away, he'd just make another one. It's weird, though, right, about how like she treated him like he was a child, too. They yeah. all kind of danced around him like he was a kid as well. Treating this like these weren't serious. I know that they were, and mm. they were very scared, but just being like, I threw away that torture tool of yours, and yeah. then he went like, right. well, I'm going to have to go make another one like yeah. it's a like it's his favorite recliner. Yeah. And I just searched hat pin, and they are quite large. They're, They're very, very large. big. Yes. More disturbing, however, were Robin Geck's homemade axes. Again, using a length of broomstick, Robin would embed a thick triangular piece of glass, mm. making a weapon that was both terrifying in its primitive appearance and surprisingly efficient in its execution. And tragically, that first execution would occur in late May 1981. Three years after the uh, prosecution of John Wayne Gacy. Mm -hmm. So I think it's keeping you. us in this world. Remember, yeah. like this is the height I of wonder, serial killer like panic in America. I wonder if he saw what John Wayne Gacy did and I wonder if he normalized it. Where's like, that just happens here I, in Chicago. It might. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Well, again, we don't know how the idea was first brought up, but starting in 1981, Robin, Eddie, Tommy and Andy started taking out Robin's red van into Chicago to pick up sex workers to assault. And eventually they would work their way up to murder. See, after cruising around for a while, Robin would spot a sex worker on the street, always choosing a black woman because he presumably knew, just like Jeffrey Dahmer knew, that a black person's death would get a half-hearted investigation at best, especially in the early 80s. At first, Eddie and Andy were the ones who would crawl into the back of the van and stay there just before Robin picked up the potential victim. They'd then wait for two taps from Robin, and at that moment, they'd burst out the back doors and force the sex worker into the back of the van, Ugh. immediately creating an atmosphere of terror. Again, right. it's four on Chaos. one. It's yeah. absolutely horrible. Uh, it's it's horrible. horrible, yeah. Usually it was three on one. Yeah, well, then well, every enough. once in a while when Eddie would come around. Yeah. It's just, every just, once in a while when Tommy yeah, would Tom, come that's around. What it yeah, yeah, Tommy. Tommy. Well, ironically, considering what eventually happened, Robin would assure Andy and Eddie each time that they wouldn't get in trouble for participating in these crimes. But once it was all said and done, they faced 
far more charges and were sentenced to far harsher punishments than what Robin ever received. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, he flipped on them. And then also there's this angle of whether or not you believe it or not, that he thought that they were doing some form of that. They would get to some form of magic ritual, which is I we'll, we'll smart that. enough for that. We're going to parse don't it out. Seem smart enough to even yeah. read next a, a episode. We're going to parse yeah. all that out. Yeah. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine, and it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. How many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Now, the Ripper crew claimed that the murder started before May of 1981. But in the first known murder, Andy and Robin were cruising North Chicago in the torture van when they pulled over and spoke with a sex worker named Linda Sutton, who worked the area around Wrigley Field. After getting into the van, they drove her to a popular spot 30 miles away where sex workers could get the job done for an hourly fee, a place called either the Moonlit Motel or the Rip Van Winkle, depending on the source. I've heard two things. Rip Van Winkle is a very scary name for a hotel. Yeah. yeah. Is it the not... lore that he was like eating kids? Yeah, nothing with no. Rip. In it. What the fuck is Rip Van Winkle again? He slept too long. 
still, it sounds like he's dead. Wait, it still sounds like I don't want to be in yeah, a motel. It's, it's, it's the place where you sleep forever. Did he have some golden hair or some shit? No, no I think it was... That is Rumpelstiltskin. I'm thinking Rumpelstiltskin. <laughs> <laughs> Rip Van Winkle just slept too long. He slept yeah. too long. He slept too long, yeah. He slept and he slept and he slept and then he woke, when he woke up, he had a big beard and it was like 200 years later and he yeah. was very sad. What's the story? That. Don't sleep too long. Don't sleep too Why? long. Why? He lived. No, because you miss so much. You Who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we missing? See, very interesting. Yeah, very, it takes on tails. Yes. But either way, the, a third member of the Ripper crew, Eddie Spetzer, he was at the motel waiting. This was all pre-planned. Ugh, this is like uh, Devil's Rejects. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Linda immediately recognized that something was wrong here, and she refused to get out of the van. But on Robin's orders, Andy and Eddie forced her out. And while they held her down, Robin punched her in the face until she crumpled down. But instead of taking her into the motel, Robin and Eddie dragged Linda to a field behind the motel, while Andy returned to the van and watched from the front seat. Now, according to Andy's later confession... Eddie held Linda down while Robin raped her. Then Robin pulled out his homemade glass broomstick axe and struck Linda three to four times in the chest. He then took a length of piano wire and severed Linda's left breast before returning to Andy. The two of them left in the van while Eddie left in his own car. Of course, leaving the corpse behind in the lonely field behind the Rip Van Winkle where it would stay until a housekeeper noticed the stench Three days later. Oh, did they do they take the breast as a prize? Uh, we'll get to that okay. here in a bit. Now, even though Linda Sutton's body had been exposed for just a few days, the large wounds inflicted on the chest, in addition to the removal of the breast, had allowed bacteria, parasites, and maggots to break down the tissue at an accelerated rate, giving the appearance that the body had been there for weeks. Yeah, I was watching some old school, you know, old fashioned true crime docs about this, and they're all like, Mostly parasites enter through the mouth because <laughs> it's already yeah. an open hole and they search their way through the anus to find their way to the sweet, sweet guts inside. And you're like, all right, buddy. Uh, no. I know you're, you're getting too hard on it. I know you like this. Yeah. I was watching a thing on uh, when when they find bodies, you know, the people that go in and, and clean up the bodies and the yeah. woman that ran it. She's like, we think those little bugs are like our best employees because it just takes one fly to lay some larva and then they just eat the human flesh. She's mm-hmm. like, those are our best employees. Like, oh, like, good. Disgusting. Oh, disgusting. Great. Yeah. You get, it takes a smile. The way that they she's like, smile. sometimes yeah. there's brain fragments, but they just take care of That's it. Like, How like, do you like, you in here? When that person likes their job, I'm fine with it. I oh, love it. God. Somebody's got to like it. Yes. Someone. Now, to be fair, this was not necessarily a DNI murder because police did investigate just a little. While the body was near skeletal, the arms were still bound by cheap handcuffs with a broken key still in the lock, which is a detail Andy Cocorelis missed. Hmm. Additionally, a strip of cloth had been stuffed in the mouth, presumably to muffle any screaming. And while there were no shoes on the body, there were still socks. And stuffed inside those socks was the sum of $13. Oh, so now, they didn't take the money. They didn't, I mean, because it wasn't a robbery and it. it wasn't a robbery. They didn't care. And they also probably didn't know that there was 13 bucks okay. in their socks. Now, once detectives couldn't find any missing persons reports that fit the description of the body, they rightfully pegged her as a murdered sex worker, which, as we know, this happened fairly often, very often, extremely often in the 70s and 80s. And eventually she was identified by fingerprints and dental records. But they were somewhat puzzled that she had money. Because carrying money made a prostitution charge much more likely should the cops catch a woman in the act. But, this is a fun part, some sex workers had systems in place for getting around such an inevitability. Okay. For example, a Chicago legend 
named Mailbox Marilyn. <laughs> she would ingeniously That's carry my wife. <laughs> she would ingeniously carry self-addressed stamped envelopes. And before she performed her services, she'd get paid, take the money, put it in the mm-hmm. envelope, mm-hmm. and drop it in the mailbox, and then go do the business. Boom. Because if she didn't have any money on her and she got caught in the act, she couldn't be charged with prostitution. Okay. She'd just get charged with public indecency. That's there a picture of her right there. When wow. she was panhandling on this on the street. Let's Woo. take a look there. Oh, oh wow. she looks happy. Well, you know, <laughs> a smile can tell a lot, but not necessarily always. You used to happiness. know her as as Crazy Mary. Crazy Mary. Oh, good for her. Now, one thing we know about serial killers is that there's usually a pretty extensive cooling off period between the first and second murders. Sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's five years. And that cooling off period often gets shorter as the killer commits more murders. But the speed in which the Ripper crew moved on to victims two and three implies that either a group dynamic shortens the cooling off period Mm. or that Robin Gecht had been murdering on his own long before he brought Eddie, Tommy and Andy into the fold. Is it possible that you just start Berserker? After he's been torturing his wife and maybe he's been living a life of sexual depravity. True. So if you have been and those dudes, they've been joining in. I I think that's a part of it. With Rosemary? Maybe other women, other sex workers, all of them kind of slowly. I think he was slowly, in my mind, he was raising them up. He was training them. So the the three of them kind of came along with him did some stuff, fucked around. And it wasn't until they started, that's the reason why, but they compartmentalized. We're like, well, you know, we weren't murderers until we started doing it, but they had been talking about it and building it up and building it up. Mm -hmm. That's my feeling. See, just a month after killing Linda Sutton, Eddie and Robin picked up another black woman, a woman who's this to this day unidentified. She was a hitchhiker. They gave her some pills. That was the new MO was that you give them pills first. So they start to get tired and disoriented. Up top. Yeah. So you can't even do it three on one natty. Yes. Yeah. yeah, No, they have to cheat. They gave her some pills. They took her to a cemetery, pulled her out of the van and beat her with a baseball bat. Eddie then returned to the car, but Robin stayed behind. And five minutes later, Robin returned with one of the woman's severed breasts. And this is, that's when they start, that's when he starts taking trophies. That's when he starts. So the other, oh my God. And this is also, I guess this is the main reason why um, uh, Chris Evans actually said no to the movie. Is that right? (laughs) Because he said something about this, because a lot of them were like, we got to leave in the return with the the breast scene. And he, because he was fighting for that. Chris Evans really wanted it. And a lot of the producers fought. Are they making a movie on this? No, absolutely not. It's unfilmable. Yeah. Well, about a month after that, Robin was giving Eddie a ride home to pick up his paycheck at Winchell's Donut House, where Eddie worked part time. What's Inter- with the bakeries? Can we leave the bakeries alone? I mean, it was just good working for people that need, you know, it's easy training. You know? Killers yeah, yeah. and sweets. I'm telling you, man. You know, it's interesting. Winchell's Donut House. There's none in Chicago anymore. But here in L.A., there's 20. Yeah, there's we 20. Like, we like our we have an ornamental Donut economy. I have yeah. never seen anyone eat a donut. No here. one has. No one eats I eat donuts. donuts. I eat donuts all the fucking you time. You do because you have, sure you're wasting. When, yeah, when you, everybody else does it because they're all constantly afraid of sugar. Yeah, and yes. anything that could possibly change their body in any way, shape, or form. I like I my yum yum you, donuts. Give me my yum yum donuts. Okay, well that's very weird, but <laughs> I just feel see like you <laughs> covered in blood. I see you sitting yeah. inside of the red van. I just feel like it's like when the Ghostbusters get their first call. And they're like, what? The phone's ringing. Like, all of those are just pipelines for fentanyl. Yeah. And you're the only person that ever buys donuts from oh, them. Oh, you want donuts? Uh, and they got to go run out What is and this, get a them? donut store? Oh, uh-huh. God damn it. 
Well, instead of picking up Eddie's paycheck at Winchell's Donut House, the two psychopaths spotted another black woman hitchhiking. So Robin told Eddie to climb back into the rear of the van. The woman was then picked up unaware that there was a guy in the back, and Robin drove her to a forest preserve. When Robin stopped the car in a suitably secluded area, he tapped twice on the floor of the van, signaling Eddie to exit through the back to meet Robin up front with a knife and a pair of handcuffs. It's like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre where they hit the cane on the ground to get Leatherface. Yep. This second hitchhiker, also never identified, was handcuffed and led into the woods by Robin alone. And when he returned five minutes later, he was again in possession of a severed breast. These trophies, by the way, would be kept in Robin's van on the floor between the seats. Oh, God, what is that smell? I mean, it's... Well, they, well, to, I mean, to keep the van from reaching a Randy Kraft level of gore, because remember Randy Kraft's car was quite bloody. Right. Robin kept a five-gallon bucket and some dish soap around to clean up after every murder. Presumably, this was because Robin, he was still using the van every day for oh. his business. Yeah, it was a business expense. Jesus. <laughs> Now, the Ripper crew went almost a year before their next murder, following that three-month, three-kill spree in 1981. Mm. But when they returned in May of 1982, they killed at least 15 people in less than six months. Horrifying. Wow. And a fair share of them had nothing to do with the sex trade. And again, you really see, it's it's interesting that there has been so little coverage. As we were doing this episode, we have the book, but even the book, as we said, it's spotty at best. And we were putting together like whatever court transcripts we could find, all that kind of information, putting it all together. And it's just crazy to think like they really were terrifying Chicago yeah. for a year and no one stopped. No one did anything. Oh. I don't know. I'd argue against it. No one knew it was happening. I guess they just it didn't wasn't, talk about it, it. They didn't talk about it. And we'll talk in the next episode. We'll begin the next episode as to partly why yeah. uh, it wasn't talked about. The other story that was kind of taking all the oxygen out of the room. Oh, what they, what they said was. What they said well, was, oh, yeah. Okay. But, gonna... but there was another big true crime story taking the oxygen out of the room. It but... was the curse of the Cubs. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing they was... were really concerned with the Cubs. <laughs> yeah, that goat should have been let in. But they were also, you know, they were hiding the bodies fairly well most of the time. Their yeah. fourth murder. There's four people working on it. Yeah. So it's not like it's one guy doing the action and then you deal with the fallout after you've done it. And like, it's like you got a team of guys working to, to hide. But it's also yeah. four people at any moment. One of them could have been like, this ain't right. Oh, uh, yeah. 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 Their fourth murder. It wasn't connected to the Ripper crew at all until Eddie Spretzer later confessed to everything because the police had no body until Eddie told them where it was at this this point, this fourth murder, the police thought it was a missing persons case. They had no, this woman just disappeared. That happens. They just disappear. Now, details are scant, but from what we can piece together, Robin, Eddie, and Tommy, and this was Tommy's first time out, by the way. Oh, okay. They saw 21-year-old Lorraine Borowski walking to her job as a secretary at a local Remax real estate office at 8.30 a.m. in the wealthy Chicago suburb of Elmhurst. After following her into her office, where she was the first to arrive that day, the Ripper crew grabbed her and dragged her to the van, then took her to a nearby motel, where a gag was stuffed in her mouth and the beating began. Now, while Eddie claimed to have been nothing more than a voyeur up to this point, Tommy said that both Robin and Eddie raped her before Eddie took out a three-foot length of piano wire. It was wrapped around Lorraine's breast and tightened until the appendage was severed. Taking the depravity even further, Eddie and Robin 
then had sex with the wound in Lorraine's chest. God. Then Robin used his glass axe to finish the job. The body was then taken to a cemetery in Clarendon Hills where the Ripper crew hid the remains in a mausoleum and the corpse would stay there until Eddie told the police where to look. But it was wow. it was really Ugh. scary. Yuck. The way she was yanked off the street Ugh. was also extremely well, She was yanked terrifying. out of her office. Yeah, like she Ugh. was already it's technically like safe. Yeah. Right? And they went and got her and this is like, this is where the Ripper name comes from. Like yeah. it's and it's again, it's why there is not one of the again, why one of the reasons why it hasn't really been covered that much is mm-hmm. because every one of these crimes involved this form of mutilation. Yes. And it gets even worse from here. Now, on the day of the kidnapping and murder of Lorraine Borowski, it was obvious to her boss when he walked in that something terrible had happened in the office. Lorraine's shoes were on the floor. Cosmetics were strewn about the office. Her keys were left behind. And police questioned nearby business owners. And in fact, one store owner in the same shopping plaza had a vague memory of a reddish-orange van parked in an area of the parking lot that was normally empty. And that was the very first seed yeah, okay. of anybody knowing who these guys were. Yeah. Hmm. Now, that was a solid lead because it was indeed the van that the Ripper crew drove. But instead of following that trail, mm-hmm. the cops listened to the guy who owned the nearby liquor store because he said that he had seen Lorraine that morning getting into a car. He said, I saw Lorraine. She got into a car. The car drove off. But I can't remember what kind of car it was. So All ridiculous. I know is that it's a car. Was and he, like, uh, she was was he sipping on his own supply? I don't know, but she was literally taken out of her own shoes. Yeah. She didn't get into her car. Yeah. So the detective on the case brought in another detective who also happened to be a certified hypnotist. <laughs> now that, oh, all right. wait. Now what's going on here? This guy, you know, some guys have multi, multi-skills, multi you mm-hmm. know, but it is strange. It's kind of scary if you met a detective that was also a hypnotist. Yeah. I just watched, it does feel like a television show. Yeah, it does. It does. I just watched your Murder, She Wrote episode, which I always catch the new episodes, and uh, the hypnotist <laughs> did it by hypnotizing somebody to kill. That's cool. It was cool. I love yeah. I love Murder She Wrote. Oh, it's oh, yeah. the best show yeah, ever. It's wonderful. Now I after- prefer when it was, I wish it was Murder She Writes because then it'd be more present. It would be, wouldn't it? Now hmm. she is. No, she's back. not dead. Angela Lansbury is still with us. Yes, yeah, she is. Is she? Yeah, no, I, I think, think so. she's recently dead. No, yeah, she's I think not. she. I think she died this like last year. No. No, I just watched your new pretty show. Sure, pretty sure she died last year. I just watched your new show yesterday. Yeah, she died in October 11th of, uh, yeah, yeah, she died. She when? died last year. She was pulled apart by a bunch of golden retrievers. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Oh, that's, un- that's unbelievable. Yeah. I can't yeah. believe they put up corpse pictures. Yeah. Mystery yeah. solved. Yeah. New show. I think Murder, She Wrote ended in 1994. It's new yeah, but to it's me, new baby. to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, this hypnotist came in, and after supposedly digging into the liquor store owner's subconscious... Oh my God, get out of here. The detective was told that Lorraine Borowski had definitely gotten into a sports car. Either either a Thunderbird or a Cougar. She was just so excited that she was like, I've got to go. She she kicked her shoes off. She threw her stuff everywhere. I've got to get in that car. She's rolling out to America's greatest diners, drivers, and dares. No, I mean, a Thunderbird is the exact opposite of a red Dodge van. Yeah, no, this guy really fucked it up. It didn't help. Yeah, well, the investigation went nowhere because they didn't follow the record. You got to understand the nice thing about this guy is that he helped me quit smoking. (laughs) That's what I love. So yes, he did derail an investigation yes. that could have saved multiple lives. Well, listen, but 
He's got my wife barking like a dog every time it's her birthday. <laughs> there you go. I love this guy. Yeah, hypnotism, huh? But even though the Ripper crew had taken a year between murders three and four, murders five through 20 Woo, would, occur, would occur in a short six-month period that was barely covered by the press. Holy shit. In addition, the crew themselves would begin dabbling in rituals and cannibalism. And that's where we'll pick back up next time for the conclusion Ugh. to our series on the Chicago Rippers. Hey, man, oh, well, some... g- oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> this is some old school heavy hitter territory. It's Ugh. been a long time since we've been here. Yeah. Sometimes I do flash back to like a 2014 version of what I would say. Yeah. And it is kind of, but it, it, it's crazy. This crime, got, this crime series got no coverage really None. as you could see why it's a bit difficult well, yeah but you know that's why it needs to be fucking covered that's what we say well i mean it was uh, every once in a while like when i was googling a couple of uh stories well, satanic on it murderers comes up satanic murderers always comes up i don't think they're smart enough to be satanic murderers we'll, get to, we'll it. get to it but you know there is every once in a while like a chicago station will say like you know the infamous chicago rippers you know the oh, infamous man story cow. yeah like yeah, yeah. <laughs> man cow the man inf- cow in the morning Welcome to Man Cow in the Morning, folks. I'm not woke. Chicago Rippers were right. <laughs> oh, no. And that would cow, be, that would be really, you'd lose some advertisers. You would. You may be. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Um, hope you are uh, surviving. Um, <laughs> yes. Do we have anything to say? Let's see. So we got our comic Glass book. comic book on the left. The three getting, yeah, we got the Spring Hill Jack Coffee. Go get some. Um, yeah, Z2comics.com. Get the comic book, Spring Hill Jack Coffee. We got a new coffee line coming out very soon. We've been talking about it. Uh, we are working on the art right now. T-shirts. Go to lastpodcastmerch.com. M- many more things than just T-shirts. We have a whole merch store there. Lots of merch. We're yeah, merch if, people. If you're naked... You can get fully you can get, clothed. Yeah. You can get fully clothed, uh, clothed there, and uh, yeah, just keep keep supporting all the yeah, shows and then here on the you network. You want to come and see us in Australia? We have it Wednesday, August second, Auckland, New Zealand; August fourth, Adelaide, Australia; August sixth, Brisbane; August seventh, Melbourne; August tenth, Sydney; and August twelfth. Earth. We're going to come see you fucking weirdos on the other side of the goddamn planet. Unfortunately, the Cherry Tavern is closed, so don't get your cocaine fix or your sticky well, floor fix. I've heard it's it not happening anymore. I heard it moved. It so. moved, but no. the OG is closed. Yeah. And No Dogs in Space, season three, premiering on May 18th. Yeah. Ooh, who are you covering? Covering the monks, my friend. You'll love them. I'll get yeah. into it. You like the monks. I love them. <laughs> You'll get into it. You'll love it. I love the monks. You love the monks. You've heard the monks. the monks. I've 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 forced you to listen to the monks before, and you said you liked it. I love it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Hail yourself. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Augusta Hail me, child. Sweet child. Sweet mm-hmm. baby girl child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've been watching watching a lot of this fucking. I'm sorry. So I'll get into it. All right. All right. It's a 67 year old and a 25 year old, and oh, they're, they're celebrating. And they're they have an OnlyFans account. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have no, an OnlyFans account together. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a whole thing. Don't do anal because she's got uh, problems with her, uh, her back. She's got problems with, literally with her butt. With her butt, she has. A, she's know, sixty-seven years old. I also, I also can't do anal. Let's move on. I Goodbye. Can't put, I can't. I can't put the bleeding anus. Can't put anything up. Uh, this show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors, you can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. With 
chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer. Because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave.